Welcome to CinemaScope, a new podcast from True Story FM. Hi, I'm Andy Nelson, co-host of the Next Real Film podcast and Movies We Like. As a passionate movie lover, I've always relished exploring the diverse landscape of cinema. And when you look closer at the taxonomy of genres, subgenres, and film movements, you see an intricate web of interconnections and influences. This complex cinematic family tree spans only 125 years. So how did styles as diverse as the French New Wave, New Queer Cinema, and Ozploitation emerge? What cultural, economic, and technological forces sculpted these styles? And what hidden threads unite them all as part of the same fantastic art form? Those questions sent me on a journey to explore each style and trace their impacts, all to better understand the bridges between different styles. And that led me here to CinemaScope. In each episode, I'll be exploring one particular genre, subgenre, or film movement in depth, inviting expert guests to help us all better understand what defines that style, how it came to be, and what branches it, in turn, influenced on this big cinematic family tree. For example, how did German Expressionism shape American film noir? What's the difference between Westerns, Spaghetti Westerns, and Brazilian Nordesterns? We'll examine the economic and socio-political forces that birthed categories like black exploitation, and we'll spotlight visionary films and directors key to the evolution of different styles. So join me as we explore the complex forces that shape film's evolution and appreciate the diverse creativity possible in its relatively brief history. Let Cinemascope be your guide to understanding this art form we cherish how its genres blend, bounce off each other, and advance a rich tapestry of storytelling innovation. Together, we'll gain a deeper appreciation for this wondrous, shape-shifting medium. Our journey begins soon. Be part of this adventure by subscribing to CinemaScope today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. You're, I noticed you were doing a little typing. I did. I was typing. I was. What were you working? Were, were you? Were you working on a budget? No, I'm actually working on the show. <laughs> like this show? The show we I'm, do? I'm, I'm writing things down that I forgot to write down. I'm like, really? oh, I got to write that down. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, we should talk about... Uh, uh, welcome to uh, the show, Andy. It's welcome to, to see you. Who, who are you uh, tonight? Because this has been kind of a big day for you. You've been acquiring new uh, properties. I I have so so I'm no longer the movie monkey. That's I finally am bidding it adieu. Good riddance yeah. to bad rubbish, I say. Yeah the 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 
the movie monkey can keep it <laughs> uh, if he if he pays me. That's the truth. I should follow you now because I wasn't. Uh, you already have 114 followers. Oh, do you just change your name on on what Twitter? On the Twitter, yeah, yeah. So I'm now Soda Creek Film. Soda Creek Film. Yeah. Is that actually a picture of Soda Creek? That is actually. Is that kind of a? <laughs> is that kind of a? I set a bridge. I, uh, is that under I, a... it is. It is a bridge. I inner tubed under that bridge countless times. Was it safe? It's kind of a I, small I picture, but not. I wonder: Are there? Oh, it's it's prettier than I thought. I thought there might have been some hypodermic needles or something. <laughs> it's very it's pretty. Not, it's not that quite uh, ghetto. <laughs> Thank you for painting my my childhood. I just did it. I totally ruined your childhood. I'm sorry about that. That's where the that's where the needles were. <laughs> <laughs> I found my first dead body under that bridge. Uh-huh. And then I wrote a book about it. <laughs> you uh you grew you grew up in a lovely place. I, I should say that. Under the bridge. Under the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> that was totally Down not me. <laughs> that was on you, my friend. That was uh, a, that was uh, was that a, that was a complice lamb that just happened there. It was like a it was like a boom accomplice lamb. It's it was I I couldn't not do it even Man. though to me I I had to do it. It was too easy. I set myself up. What can I say? Soda Creek film. So you are Soda Creek film after the lovely Soda Creek. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that's going to be you everywhere. That's me on Facebook. That's me on uh, on Twitter. Okay. And I don't think I can set that up on G- Gmail. Not yet. Right? Not yet. Uh, yeah. But, but soon. I, I do have Soda Creek. Oh, I haven't set that up yet, though. So I don't know. Actually, SodaCreekFilm.com. So no, well yes, I do have sodacreekfilm.com and sodacreekfilm at gmail.com and I kind of went a little crazy today. You did. This was a big day. Congratulations and and welcome to uh the internet uh, and your big boy pants. <laughs> <laughs> I feel all grown up now. You do. You should. <laughs> this is good. I wish there was a sorry. I'm going to make you a certificate. Between that and getting an iPhone today. It's that was a big a day. day. Yeah. yeah. I did get my big boy pants today. You I really guess. did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Well, so, let's, uh, so yeah, uh, so anyway. We have some other things to talk about. We, You wanted to talk about some trailers. I want to talk about let's, some trailers. Do you want to talk about Stitcher first? Yeah, sure. Stitcher, uh, we got all, all sorts of things I should talk about. Uh, first of all, if you if you are so interested, you can find me at Pete Wright on the Twitter or uh, at uh, Rashpixel.com. Uh, Rashpixel.tv is where you will find all the shows, the other Rashpixel.tv shows, and uh, you can subscribe to them in iTunes. We sure appreciate it if you do that. iTunes is a, is a great way to keep up with all of the free shows uh, that you might subscribe to through the uh, iTunes podcast uh, gallery there, but you can subscribe using any one of your favorite podcatching uh, apps right through rashpixel.tv. The other is Stitcher Smart Radio. It's a great way to do um, to do smart radio right from an app on your phone. So in the Android App Store, the iOS App Store, you can download Stitcher and uh, and subscribe to any of the rashpixel.tv shows right there, and, and uh, it works really, really well. There are all sorts of other shows, uh, vastly more popular shows as well. We appreciate it if you subscribe to ours first and then the more popular shows. <laughs> um, yes. But but yes. whatever order works for you. Uh, really, it's it's you. This is you. Uh, and so that's that. 
That's now right. let's talk about let's talk about what we want to talk about tonight. First, go. We should probably talk about Spider Man. Yeah. So Spider Man, the the deluxe four minute preview uh, played this week on. Uh, I think it premiered on the um, opening night of America's Got Talent. So auspicious beginnings. Mm, mm. So because for because as far as I can tell, America does got <laughs> got talent. I don't know if you saw America, it. I did America not. got it. I did not, but all the trailers seem to indicate America got it. Mm. All right, so what did you think of the trailer? Give me your honest uh, honest and unvarnished opinion. Well, you know, I fluctuate with Spider-Man because of the because uh, of your deep connection to it. Yeah, I love Spider-Man and I mean, yes, I love the fact that he's using his he actually is a science-minded kid. He now actually makes his own web shooters, which is cool. Do you I love that really? A, I do, but yeah. I never had a problem with it the other way yeah. either. And and I know a lot of people um did have a problem in the previous films where it was part of his transformation. He actually had, you know, web shooters. That never bothered me, but it does kind of excite me that that's one of the big differences with this one. Um, I always love the lizard, and I gotta say, I mean, I'm not seeing a lot of the lizard that is exciting me, and that to me is the most concerning thing. And I can't tell because they're not showing us enough in the trailer, but it looks like basically a giant crocodile running around with like a human face on it. Yes. Well, <laughs> I don't know if it has a. I don't. Th I think the final transformation. It's actually just a giant crocodile. I mean, mm. I mean, not yeah. saying it's a giant, but it's the human face is really gone. And that's the that's the the sad part, as far as I can tell. I just don't want it to feel like that. What was that? Do you remember that TV movie from the early 80s? Where is that crocodile that somebody had released in, in the sewers? in yeah. New York, And it oh, was yeah. like crawling around, like eating kids and yeah, stuff. They flushed it, like flushed that. it down the toilet. I love that movie when I was a kid. It scared the crap out of me. But. I don't want this to be that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and you know, the whole thing with, you know, uh, the cop chasing him instead of, I, I don't know. I mean, they're I making like, some I, interesting changes. I like the, uh, I like the, the cop. I think the cop is an interesting choice. Um, uh, just if, if only because it's, it's, you know, they had to pick some other, you know, some other characters from, from the, the characters we've gotten used to in the, the first uh, or the the other recent reboots of Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, you know, they had to do something. And it's good to focus on something else. And I, I um, you know, I like, uh, what's his name? Dennis Leary. Oh, Dennis Leary, although I'm much more used to him as a fireman. Mm -hmm. um, but I like that a lot. Okay, so we like the, uh, we like the web shooters. We, um, I, it, I really like how his name messes me up. Rice Ifans. Rice I fans, I think it's Reese. Reese I fans. I've I uh, Reese Reese yeah. I think that's where he's he's most uh, he's the lizard is most interesting, and that's yeah. those are the the pieces I'm most interested. It's like when he's in mid transformation, yeah. uh, when he looks sort of most compelling. But once they go full CGI, it's you're right. It's a big crocodile running around the city. Um, I found myself surprisingly moved by watching him take off the mask. 
Mm-hmm. At first, I thought that's because it seems like this is a movie that is strings of scenes of Peter Parker taking off the mask and putting it back on and then taking it on and then asking other people to put it on and then taking it back and then pretending that he didn't take it off uh, and that nobody actually knows who he is or that nobody has a cell phone with a camera on it. So right. that, you know, I thought originally it was just sort of gimmicky, but that the scene in the four minute trailer where you where he rescues the kid from the car, I thought ended up. I expected, I thought, this is a gimmick, this is a gimmick, this is a gimmick, it's not, it's dumb, it's dumb, it's dumb, and then he, the car falls, he, uh, you know, grabs the kid with his web, and there's this moment of release, and relief, and I, I was, I unexpectedly moved. Yeah. I, it was a really great scene. No, I, it, it, it definitely have its moments, so, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, I'm, I'm excited to see it, um, and I, I'm curious to see. I think I'm more curious to see how it turns out rather than excited, though. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I think that's probably true. I think Andrew Garfield is looking uh, is looking the part more and more. I'm I'm getting more and more used to him, uh, not yeah. being Eduardo Saverin. That that uh, um, you know that's that's coming around. That's true. Although I saw a meme running around on Facebook or somewhere saying that, you know, money is the ultimate superpower. And it had a picture of Batman and, um, Eduardo Iron, Saverin. Iron Man, no, Batman <laughs> oh. and Iron Man. So it's funny that Eduardo Saverin is playing Spider-Man. Yeah. There you right, go. You know? Right. <laughs> uh, very true. Hey, uh, have we, have we actually had a chance to talk about the uh, Avengers? I haven't seen it yet. Can you believe Are that? Are you serious? I know. I was gonna here's I was actually going to go see it, but I decided to do some yard work and I was outside way too long and I actually ended up getting heat stroke and I uh ended up ruining the rest of my day and and uh heat, that pretty much killed you, it. I you know. You got heat stroke which you stopped wanna, you which stopped I... you from seeing the Avengers. <laughs> yeah. It sounds really you bad. Live you, you live in Arizona. You live in Arizona. Did you not see this coming? <laughs> do you want to know what I was actually doing in my yard? This is the sort of thing you do when you live in the desert and your landscaping is rocks. I was <laughs> vacuuming my rocks. <laughs> oh, five hours of vacuuming. You ever know. <laughs> what? <laughs> Three weeks in a row, I've been vacuuming my rocks. <laughs> <laughs> why the? Oh. Normally, why, you can just kind of you can just uh, blow all the stuff, you know, and it and pile it up and then and rake it up. Wait, but... well, okay, wait. <laughs> what when you say stuff? Uh, what is it? Leaves from the trees, you know things i don't i don't know i don't know <laughs> i don't know what would move you to vacuum your front yard <laughs> i don't know i have trees that drop all their crap in my yard they're leaves these little tiny leaves and they drop seed pods it's like all these desert plants that just drop crap everywhere <laughs> so and unfortunately when we moved into this house the people never had done any of that yard work and all of that stuff had gotten way down deep in the rocks and so it was like a bed like walking in a forest pine bed is like that kind of thick and so i had to like actually move all the rocks around and like vacuum all the crap up it was it was abysmal 
Gosh, Andy, that sounds really bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we should talk about movies now. <laughs> oh. I don't know if I want to go back to movies. <laughs> I think desert landscaping is far better. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, okay. Well, I, I would like to. I, I don't want to give anything away, but uh, I will tell you that I I quite liked this film, The Avengers. Hello, uh, Andy. Hello, Pete? hello. Did you go away, Andy? I I did for a minute. You, well, you're back. Can you hear now. me? Now? Yeah, that's bizarre. I lost you for a minute. Well, it's good to hear you again. Oh, thank you. All right. So uh, I I would like to say that I quite liked this movie. I and when I say quite liked, uh, I I really really quite liked it. Um, I don't want to be too, uh, you know, what's effervescent? That's not mm. the word. Uh, there's a word that goes along with the feeling that I want to convey here. I don't want to be too excited about it because I'd like you to see it. Uh, but I I will say that uh, I didn't have a problem with a single character in this in this film. Not not one. Uh, and, and the one that I was most concerned about was Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk, as, as Bruce Banner, actually. Mm -hmm. And I thought he did a great job. And I've seen a lot of folks on Twitter who didn't like him, who prefer the Edward Norton. Uh, really? The people those days are, those, those, that ship has sailed. We're done. We're, we moved on from him and the Australian guy. We're done. And, Entertainment uh, Weekly said that this was the best uh, Hulk that had been out there, that they yeah. actually did the best work with it. Uh, not not just the CG, but, I mean, the actual character. Yeah. They developed him a lot better, and it was much more interesting. And, and this is one, because I guess they hadn't been talking about doing another Hulk movie, but now with this, they yeah. actually are, I guess, thinking about it. Well, I hope they do, I, because I think it is a character, and I, I, I really feel like Joss Whedon went back to this movie and, and took it, in, in some respects, back to its roots from a character perspective. Uh, and I think what, you know, having these characters on the screen together gives them a level of depth um, you know, that, that we haven't seen before. And, and bef in, in the Hulk franchise to date, it has been a Jekyll and Hyde story. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. Where where we've had the the guy who's trying to protect the world from the mindless beast within. But the Hulk and the Avengers is not that mindless beast. He's he's, uh, you know, uh, uh, he's a rage machine, no doubt, but he's not mindless. Hmm. And and that's the important thing. He has there is substance and complexity to to this character, and I think they started to bring that out in this movie. And I hope it provides a, a launchpad for a really substantive Hulk film that actually gets us to to something better. I would also love to see a Hawkeye film. I think it would be great to see uh, Hawkeye and Black Widow um, in their own film. I think that it would be it would be much more of a Ghost Protocol type of a thing. Uh, and and. Uh, but I, I thought it was great, and um, and I loved the the just the whole dynamic of the of the film was terrific. Um, lots of humor. It, it's a, a film that starts and just doesn't stop. I mean, it is yeah. so well paced, and they jam so much into it. The other thing that I really like that I'm going to let it go, and you'll have to tell me what you think about this because this going in I thought was going to be the number one challenge when you have all these top build, um, you know, characters in coming from their own franchises right and these actors on stage essentially competing for screen time you know i didn't get the feeling that there was any competition for screen time at all this felt like a real legitimate team movie interesting well that's good yeah they did it they did a great job that's so, hard to do it's, it's hard to pull off 
really, really hard to do. I walked out of this movie with my kids and we all three said, should we just go back in and see it again? <laughs> nice. Uh, so anyway, that's it. You want nice. to talk about any other uh, any other trailers that are hot? Well, we haven't talked about um, the the trailers out for the newsroom. Okay, give it give uh, us give us the thirty second spiel on the newsroom. Well, I don't really know a whole lot about it, but just from the trailers that I've seen, it's it's Aaron Sorkin's new HBO show um, with Jeff Daniels as a uh, crotchety news anchor for a CNN type of news. Um, program it looks like who it looks like he's kind of finally crossed the line and just can't handle uh dealing with the all the people and idiots that he has to deal with and mm -hmm. uh um he's assigned a new um somebody I, I don't know what that role is in news what is that that she's a, a new younger person who's like helps like his story editor or yeah. somebody his producer uh, yeah and he has to deal with her um the head of the the news company um, looks like it's played by Jane Fonda is kind of trying to deal with him and constantly threatening to fire him. And, you know, it just looks, it's sharp. It's got the Sorkin dialogue and it looks uh, really interesting. I, I'm pretty excited to uh, check it out whenever I'm finally able to, since you know, I don't have HBO. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, I, I'm right with you. And I think one of the things that I'm looking forward to the most is I, I, what I have heard is that, um, you know, this is a Norman Beale story and uh, with the, the Aaron Sorkin twist, uh, and it treats the newsroom with great respect as much as you can actually treat the newsroom with respect. Uh, the, the actual sort of mechanics of working in a newsroom uh, is, is respected here. And I, I'm really looking forward to that, to, to, you know, seeing how Aaron Sorkin pulls apart the dynamics of what, of what the broadcast media is going through right now. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm very excited to see this movie. I think it's, uh, I think it's going to be terrific. It's TV show. I mean, TV, TV show. Yeah. yeah. It, what's interesting about it is uh, when you're looking, I don't know how many, um, I don't know how he's going to do it, but it looks like it's it's funny because it looks like ten episodes per series are kind of doing or per season they're doing it just like they did uh, you know Game of Thrones. It's that short, short season, right? And um, weirdly, Jeff Daniels is in eight of them. Hmm. So you know, of the uh, Emily Mortimer is I, I guess his uh, playing his. Side, she's the faith, new, faithful sidekick yeah. producer, and she's in eight. But there are there are actors who are in ten episodes, and I'm curious to see how they break apart that story. If huh, so, um, I wonder if the so. trailers are really focusing on him right now. Yeah, but, but he, there is but another story. Gonna be, there's going to be a lot of different. It's going to be one of those things where we're watching all these different characters. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. Um, it, it one of the uh, let's see, it's uh, gosh, what's her name? Uh, Allison Pill. She was in Scott Pilgrim, and uh, she's uh, in treatment. She's been around for uh, a long time, but she looks like she's uh, seven. <laughs> uh, she's in this thing. I, I always like what she does. She's been in. She's been acting since 1997, uh, but she really does look like a seven-year-old. So yeah, it's gonna be. This is gonna people. be great. This is gonna be a great, uh, great film. Very excited. Yeah, about it. I can't wait. I can't a wait great to see it. Series. Uh, you know, I would just say if you haven't seen it, go check out the trailer for Gangster Squad. It's a new Sean Penn, Ryan Gosling film that looks terrific about Mickey Cohen in, in the 1940s and 50s. Um, and, uh, so that looks like a, a good one. And, uh, what, what did you want to recommend for the week? There was something uh, else you had in your list. 
um argo argo ben affleck's new movie um about a guy trying to get some hostages out of or some um i guess they're not hostages they're refugees hiding in a in like um what country is it some I, middle I, eastern I, country um yeah, in, I, I, iran is that iran yeah. yeah they're hiding in a and in, in uh the canadian embassy and they um he has to go in posing as a film crew um with a team of people to try getting these people out pretending that they're part of the crew so it's a fascinating trailer uh, with uh, the film stars uh, ben affleck brian cranston and john goodman and uh uh, it's got an interesting vibe to it and i think um ben affleck it's based on a true story also which is i guess recently uh declassified yeah so that's pretty interesting uh yeah so definitely check this one out it's um it looks like it's going to be another uh, another good it's establishing ben affleck as as actually a talent we're gonna have to do a ben affleck the director series we should we should do that there's there are some that are becoming worth talking about there yeah all right shall we get to the meat of of the meat let's let's jump in so tonight we start our uh uh our series on uh alien mm-hmm and uh man jonesy right what a dick <laughs> i mean this whole movie tilted on uh you know i'm on a hiss and a meow i mean they could probably could have gotten away if it weren't for that cat yeah that's true i'd like to yeah. i think i'd like our entire discussion to revolve around the the feline interpretation of alien the cat it's almost as if it's purposefully leading them to it situations is. where they get uh except for dallas that doesn't really happen with dallas no, but i'm sure we true. can find a way to we, we could do that <laughs> pin it on jonesy anyway <laughs> pin it on jonesy you know it's interesting it's funny that you brought jonesy <laughs> up right away this is something that never ever has crossed my mind but i was listening to some of the um commentary on the on the disc from ridley scott and he's talking about how you know how at the end of the film ripley comes around the corner and the alien is there and she drops jonesy and runs right uh-huh because the alien is blocking her way to the to the um escape ship and so she she's going to go try shutting off the um self destruct that she's initiated right right um and then we cut to a shot of the alien looking at Jonesy in in the cage, and in the director's cut, then um, the alien actually smacks the cage out of the way. And then we cut to her, and we follow her, and she doesn't succeed. And so her only option is to try to get back to the th- back to the escape ship, which she creeps back up. The alien's not there. She sees Jonesy in the cage, grabs Jonesy, and and goes back into uh, the escape ship. Now it looks like her way's clear, and she ejects as the uh, Nostromo blows up. At that point, you know, everything seems like it's going to be nice and calm and we're at the end of the film. And and Ridley Scott goes, well, no, this is the point where the audience is going to start suspecting the cat, that the cat is, you know, maybe infected with the alien or, or has the, an alien in it. And I was like, what? I That never crossed my mind. But I guess I could see that. But I, I did, had that ever crossed your mind that that the alien had actually been blown up in the Nostromo and now 
we're we're afraid of the cat. Wow. No. No, I feel now like I've somehow been shorted on this movie. I I know. I it never crossed my mind once. No. Never crossed my mind. Cuz cuz I guess the question is why didn't the alien kill the cat? Maybe the alien knew that the cat had an alien in it or something. You know, I don't know. Or as is more likely the case, the only thing in the universe that is more terrifying than alien is cat. <laughs> well, anyone who owns a cat knows that that's true. <laughs> I just got I just got a kitten in our uh, house, and I haven't slept in a week. <laughs> and I so, believe so. It. I think that's where we're going. I uh, so why are we? Why is uh, why is Alien uh, such an important uh, franchise? This is a film that um, I, I think really took everybody by surprise when it was released in 79 um, because it it did something different with sci-fi and it did something different with horror that people hadn't really seen before and it it um, it really really took people by surprise in a way that um, advanced both of those genres in in new and different ways and I think that's what really that's why we like this story so much is that um, by blending those two genres, not just, you know, in kind of a cursory way, but really blending them where you had a very atmospheric sci-fi film that was absolutely terrifying with things that you've never seen before, like chest bursters bursting out of people and these these creepy, like, crab-like face huggers implanting embryos in them. And, this, and then, of course, the alien with, like, you know, this giant phallic head and this this tongue with teeth and just everything about it is just horrifying. It's It wasn't anything that had been seen before. And it was able to advance, you know, everything after that in both sci-fi and and horror films. And I think that's why it's it's such an important film in my mind. Well, all right. All right. I'll go with that. That's my answer, too. <laughs> I think uh, I think it's an interesting movie because it's a movie that celebrates specific beats. Uh it, it, not even celebr celebrates not even the 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 word. It's a it's a a movie where um the the pacing is determined by these beats that are worshiped in in the film, right? Um when they discover the the first alien ship, right? And the sea of eggs. Uh, yeah. When John Hurt goes to the Sea of Eggs, that moment is, uh, it, it is a stunning moment, right? Uh, when they, when the, the, uh, when the alien bursts forth from the egg and attaches itself to John Hurt's face, it is a stunning moment. And mm -hmm. it's a moment that you, you just don't, you don't forget. This is a film where these moments are seared somehow to your sort of uh to your memory and and i think that's a really powerful bit i mean there are few movies that have those moments uh that 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 really um that really have that kind of power and this movie has a lot of them yeah uh, and and it really kind of corners the market on on um on on how these moments propel the story forward and and it's uh because you have to admit what happens between these moments it's just kind of a lot of talking, <laughs> you know. Well, it's a lot but, to, and but, then the heartbeat starts. But yeah. that that speaks to how well it's paced. Exactly. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's. Exa- I mean, it's I mean, exactly yeah. Right. I mean, you you say a lot of talking, but I mean that's, you know, it's there's a lot there is stuff going on there and obviously in order to ha- have those great <laughs> moments where the yeah the yeah chest burster rips out of his chest at dinner um you know before uh you know and then dallas later is 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 killed in the air ducts you know having those moments between obviously makes the tension in those that much stronger well as a testament to that the you know the scene that you know i remembered most as a kid now and i i saw this movie let's see do you happen to know off the top of your head when it was released on vhs uh do you have that no i i do not have it handy um it was really released on vhs um well anyway so i saw it when it came out my my or actually my dad had it on beta in the early 80s yeah whenever that was and he and a buddy came in and they closed the door in his bedroom and they sat on my parents' bed and watched this movie on their tiny television in closed door fashion. And I was very con- concerned by it. And so I laid down on the floor and I watched the movie under the crack of the door with one <laughs> eye. I'll never forget it because I saw the chest bursting scene. Yeah. Uh, and that scene, uh, so that scene was really sort of bookmarked the entire film for me. Uh, and so after I've seen it many, many times, I still remember that scene. And that scene doesn't come in the film until exactly the halfway point of the film. Yeah. Uh, which seems late to me because it really propels the entire bottom half of the movie. Uh, but, but structurally it comes really late. Uh, and yet that's the thing that I remember the most. I remember that launching the film. Mm-hmm. Well, and and a lot of that is because you know they deliberately wanted a pace for the first half of the film that was much slower and not a whole lot happened because it's building up the tension it's it's creating this environment where we're we're getting a sense of these things and and finding ourselves in a world where where things you know are moving at the pace they normally move at but when we're introduced to this alien landscape and everything else um on that alien landscape it just creates that unsettled feeling and even though you know we don't have something jumping out at us every 10 minutes it it's still it's like that tension is almost just like it keeps building. It's like a it's like a slow burn almost. You know, it just kind of keeps going. So, man, when that chest burster scene happens, it it's something that you never see coming. Where do you uh, tell tell uh, tell me what you think of this uh, this Yahoo uh, Dan O'Bannon? <laughs> he's a he's a kooky guy. <clears throat> Dan he's O'Bannon. A, you just he's just a guy. You just imagine you don't want to. I mean, he's he's he passed away, but you don't ever want to give him a, a shotgun and a and a porch because he'll guard that thing till the bitter end. <laughs> he's he's an interesting guy. He is very um, quirky. He's a very quirky guy. <laughs> he started um, he started working with. Um, John Carpenter back at uh, in film school on Dark Star until they had finished it out of school, and from that, you know, his excitement about doing a sci-fi sort of thing kind of led him to continue on and start writing Alien. Um, he couldn't really get it to where he wanted, so he brought his buddy Ron Chisette on 
um, and they kind of crafted this this script together. Um, Ron Chusette is the one who actually came up with the chestburster. I'm sorry, not the chestburster idea. He came up with the um, the maybe no, he did come up with the whole chestburster face hugger thing and how the 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 face hugger attaches it and uh, you know basically you know implants itself in you. I mean, I think he used a more sexual connotation as to what it was actually doing. It and it embeds an egg in you that uh, then bursts forth. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, Dan O'Bannon is um, suspender bow tie wearing guy. <laughs> he is, you know, he's behind some of the properties that I have been really attached to um, for a long, long time. And, um, you know, I, I didn't, I don't remember much of, of his very first kind of works, you know, Dark Star and, uh, you know, long tomorrow, but he was on the team for Star Wars, did some special computer effects in Star Wars. And then we got Alien, Heavy Metal, Dead and Buried, Blue Thunder was one of my favorites. I think he actually, according to what I read, he didn't like that very much and, and thought the rewrites were, um, you know, extracted a lot of the political content for the movie. I was one of my favorites. Life Force was a movie I absolutely loved. It was a complete box office flop, but I loved it. Uh, alien vampires you just got there's uh, it was a weird one it was great <laughs> uh return of the living dead uh and i'll be damned the original total recall that i was lamenting uh several weeks ago he um and that's actually a project that that um he and Ron said had actually been working on since before alien mm-hmm. and um they ended up alien just ended up happening first so um, and, you know, he's an interesting writer because he actually got himself um, somehow because he had gone, he had been hired for a period of time to actually go to um, Europe and work on an adaptation of Dune that never actually ended up happening. But while he was there, he went to this show, an art show, and that's where he first encountered H.R. Giger's work. Mm. And And because of that, he brought Giger on. Um, and helped kind of create that whole, you know, alien look that is so famous now. Um, and because of that, he ended up becoming like, uh, the visual consultant for alien and Ridley Scott very much relied on him to be there, uh, much to, uh, the producers lament. They really didn't like him. There was quite a bit of, of, uh, uh, animosity between, um, uh, Guiler and Hill with, uh, with Dan O'Bannon because they didn't want him. They didn't want the writer on set. Um, also, there was the issue of of who wrote the script because uh, Guiler and Hill um, O'Bannon had actually come uh, when they were doing pre production. He he saw a copy of the script laying there, and his name wasn't even on it. It had it was now uh, written by David Guiler and Walter Hill, and he was like, "What's going on here?" and um, yeah, so it, it went through arbitration with the Writers Guild, and and he and uh, Ron ended up getting um, shared story credit, and then Dan O'Bannon got screenplay credit, and then um, you know there is definite work in there from David Geiler and Walter Hill. Most notably, they came up with the whole idea of Ash being the uh, the robot, which ended up being. Uh pretty critical uh oh yeah in in terms of the overall arc of the of the film 
Yeah, it was a very important point. But, it, you know, because of all that, it's there's definitely just a lot of animosity between all of these guys. Too bad they can't just play together. Yeah. Well, yeah. well he's it, dead it, now, so what are you going to do, right? That's right. All right. So, you know, what's... I I I think um it it took me a long time to actually understand what was going on in the story. Is it important to really understand what is going on in the story? Well, in in what sense are you talking about as far as the Well, and and maybe it's because I now have the benefit of having seen the trailer for Prometheus. Mm-hmm. Right. But I get the um I get the feeling that there was more sort of backstory in here that is not in the film. And the, the role of this sort of alien prime that we are to assume was also destroyed by the alien. You're, you're t- referring to the space jockey. Yes. Yeah. The space jockey. You know, they never actually, the whole concept that they had was, it was a mystery. They never really Figure, they never designed it in a way where they had backstory for that. Ridley Scott had his own theory as to what that was. And actually, I'll be curious, not having read Prometheus, not knowing anything about it other than what's in the trailer, I'm curious as to what Prometheus, how it's going to play out. Because what he came up with and what he talks about um, in, the, uh, in the commentary about this is that this was a perhaps a cargo ship. And like a military cargo ship, and this this space jockey was piloting it, and it, in the cargo holds were basically all of these alien eggs that they would then drop on a planet and use as a as a biological warfare to kind of clean up a planet or something like that. However, one of them got jarred, escaped, and attached to him, and that was the end of him. That was kind of what Ridley's. Um, theory was while they were making alien um so i'm curious how it's going to be i don't want to when, talk i don't want to talk i about know anything. i i don't want you to say anything this is going to be challenging to do okay <laughs> so uh l- let's talk about the the seminal moments uh well first of all let's talk about geiger yeah this film would not be anything without hr geiger uh an amazing very quirky artist, very quirky artist who um, draws just these horribly disturbing images um, that, you know, I mean, they, they all kind of look this way. It's like biomechanical sexual combinations of like monsters and people and teeth and machines and just everything has kind of this sexual overtone to it very creepy stuff and ridley scott saw this stuff and was like that is what i want and he ended up you know once he saw it he knew this is exactly what this monster needs to be this is how the ships need to be. Like he was a hundred percent convinced. And then Ridley Scott had to work to convince everyone else that this, I mean, not everyone, um, everyone at the, at 20th century Fox, the producers and everyone that this was, this would actually work. And I don't think they had seen it that way, but, um, you know, he won out and, and good for him because, because he was right. Well, enough to, to, uh, 
uh, to double the budget, the initial film's budget, uh, which ended up being, um, what did that it come out to? What is your, what is your backroom secret, uh, secret budget number look like? It looks like to me at 8.4 million. Um, I see between nine and 11 are the numbers I have. So, so somewhere between nine and 11 million in 1978 dollars is when it was made. So. So not bad, uh, not a bad chunk of change, but but still, you have to admit this is a ton of movie for that oh, yeah. budget. This is a ton of movie, uh, and uh, I'm just you know, and I'm looking, I'm clicking, I'm getting a little bit lost because I'm looking for the original uh, art inspiration for this piece was uh, Geiger's um, Necro- uh, Necronom Necronom Four. Yeah, and uh, if you if you look at the image, you can see just a how. Uh, just what a sort of asexual piece it is and uh, and and how close they ended up sticking to the uh, to the original piece for the alien model uh, yeah. and you can really see when we talk next week about aliens uh the parallel there that even even uh, I, I think cemented the parallel when it comes to the queen mm-hmm. um, they took it even that next step further um uh, so Really, Geiger's story sort of defined how what you said earlier, how this film um, really pushed science fiction and horror in that in that new direction. And, and it was it was largely the result of the artistic impressions of Geiger that that helped take that to a new level of sort of sobriety, don't you think? Yeah, because it, it created something. I mean, I know there had been like aliens and things in other movies dating all the way back to the beginning of cinema, but they weren't um, looked at as anything so, it, it all seemed to kind of still fit within kind of our fairy tale version of what, what that would be. You know, it was like modified people. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, the alien is a modified person, but not in a way anyone had ever done before it was just it it really made it like an alien it, i mean it has acid for blood the life cycle is something that you know nobody had ever really thought about that in other films before and that whole concept of laying an egg inside a person and i mean it's just stuff that nobody had seen and and done and and yeah it was it was wholly original well i i think that um you know when you add the emphasis on the horror uh, and the structure of the script, it's it it is not just what you're saying, which is you know I think absolutely true that you you've never seen the kind of of alien, you've never seen the kind of production design that that's inspired, and you've never really seen a cast uh, as as sort of dirty and talented as this one taking what they're doing quite so seriously, mm-hmm. right? I mean this this was very much not a fantasy film this was not this was people as you know this was no star wars right Uh, completely different and and they came out in such proximity to one another that 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 parallel is very real i mean this is almost a response this is the anti-star wars Um, it is in a very in a a very real way i mean ridley scott had no intention of doing a sci-fi this was his second film after the duelists mm -hmm. and he was intending on going and making a film out of tristan and isolde um, and then somebody told him, hey, you've got to come see this. They went out and they watched Star Wars. And he's just like, oh, my God, that's what I have to do next. Um, 
and and somehow he got tapped into doing a sci-fi film and you know he just realized that that was kind of what the whole the zeitgeist was it you know he wasn't going to be this kind of artsy you know european director he needed to do something that was really connecting with with audiences and uh, but he also never was a fan of science fiction films and so i think that is another reason that he pushed it in a, in so many different directions opposite star wars yeah i think that's a i, I think that's an interesting parallel and and uh you know to it it sort of jumps out at me that the movies that we've talked about are there other movies we talked about where the directors were not specifically fans of the subject matter i'm th- what immediately comes to mind is facebook or is the um uh, the social network mm-hmm. um where the principal folks were not members of facebook and not interested in technology including the writer and yet come up with this fantastic film and there's this one, and I'm trying to figure out, is there, a, is there another list we need to make hmm. of the movies we like list of directors that actually hate their subject matter? <laughs> but make a great film. But make great anyway. films anyway. <laughs> All right. So put that on our list of lists that we're going to need to make. Yes, um, the list of lists. Let's, let's run down the, the cast quickly, because the cast is really exceptionally strong. We remember this as, uh, you know, as sort of a, I don't know, I want to call it a vehicle for Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, for I mean her her first film, I mean her yeah. first lead role in a film. I, I believe she had been in um Manhattan as an extra before this, but um but this is really pretty much her first film. So or not Manhattan, Annie Hall, yeah. But it, you know, I think what's interesting about that is that her part is not um you know, I I you can court, sort of see how that she this was not made to make her look good. Interestingly, all of the roles in the script originally, they wrote a note that said any of these, uh, these are written asexually. Any of them could be a man played by a man or a woman. And so uh, over time, the studio decided, okay, let's do um, uh, these two characters. And I don't think it was Ripley, but then somebody said, no, no, let's do, let's do Ripley as a female. And that was another new thing that that they were doing with this film is pushing a female uh, protagonist into the lead in this type of film huh so well and that's i i think is an interesting uh huh that's an interesting twist i'm trying to imagine what it would have been like say if you if you swapped tom scarrett mm-hmm. as ripley uh it, it it makes for a very it, it makes for a different vibe no matter kind of how you write the character but but what my point was it wasn't it was written in so so far as it, you know it was a we remember it as a vehicle for her because aliens was such a vehicle for her uh where she was definitely the star and in this movie i don't i don't feel like she was the star just because she was the lone survivor well and i think that was the uh, i mean i always felt like that was the intention with the script is casting people who had much bigger names that you expected to be the ones who would survive mm-hmm. um, around and, her. And then it's this unknown newcomer who is the one who ends up being uh, the one who who uh, is the lone survivor at the end. Uh, for example, John Hurt, mm-hmm. uh, who was already uh, legendary, even at this point. I mean, John Hurt had been around for a very long time. And... Uh, uh, is a, a terrific actor, and he ends up 
uh, being one of the first to go. And he almost uh, uh, wasn't in this film. All right, so go on. Talk about this. He um, he was interested in being in it, but he was heading out of the country to be in a movie in South Africa. And um, so they cast another actor, and, um, and I'm blanking on his name right now. John Finch. John Finch, thank you. Um, John Finch, they started shooting with him, and it was like the very first shot, the very first day. And, and Rid- Ridley Scott looked at him and said, are you doing okay? And he's like, no, I feel horrible. And he ended up having a bronchitis or something like just was horribly ill. And that kind of was it with John Finch. He had to, they had to cut him because he was too ill t- to work. And uh, oddly enough, John Hurt ended up being available because this South Africa film he was going to go work on, there was a problem. They wouldn't let him in the country because they mistook him for somebody else who was a big anti-apartheid guy. And so he couldn't get into South Africa. So he was free. And lo and behold, he he had a late night meeting with Ridley Scott and who said, look, we want you. And 7 a.m. the next morning, he was on set ready to film. What a fantastic coup that is. Yeah. And I, I couldn't picture anyone else playing him so thank god well couldn't picture anyone else playing him and to, and you know what his but this is one of those cases where specifically the actor makes the performance here because this is watching him and not just his his dramatic performance you know wandering through the eggs but watching him die yeah makes the moment and watching them watch him die makes the moment uh, yeah. In particular, the story, as I understand it and tell me what you tell me when I start lying is that um you know the uh, that the the rest of the characters during the chest bursting scene had not been told had been told that the alien was going to burst through the chest, but had not been told the degree to which the gore was going to explode from the chest, yeah, uh, and the sounds that they were going to be hearing, and and uh, as a result, when the gore and the chicken eviscera comes shooting out of the dummy half of John Hurt, which was on mm-hmm. the table. What you're seeing there when everything goes silent for about a half a second is the real unvarnished reaction of these people having never seen this before. Right, right. Particularly, um, um, what's her name? I'm having Victor- a terrible time tonight. Uh, v- Veronica, Veronica, Veronica Cartwright, Cartwright. Who, who got blasted in the face with a geyser of blood. <laughs> And as you can see her, she just, I mean, it's this huge burst of blood just like squirts her right in the face. She freaks out. She actually steps back. She she totally slips in it, like it goes heads over, head over heels onto the floor. They're still filming, so she scrambles back up and still is <laughs> reacting. Oh, poor girl. But yeah, I mean, there's just so much blood and nobody was expecting it. So it yeah. really, it, it worked. It was very effective. It, and uh, horrifying. It was it was horrifying, and and uh, he, he, she she provides. It's almost a Wilhelm scream moment. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. her when the, when the alien is there, it's a close up on the alien kind of un, uncoiling in his chest cavity, and you hear her say, "Oh God!" <laughs> and it's, I I swear I've heard that in like a thousand movies since then. You know, it's that's the scream, but it's I can't confirm that. Oh, that's so funny. Uh, Ian Holm as Ash, the ship's science officer. 
uh, the uh, uh, malfunctioning Android. Another another kudo moment that surprised everybody, and and you know if if people weren't getting sick in the aisles from the chestburster scene, it was when um, Yafet Kodo's character Parker smacks Ash in the head with the fire extinguisher, and his head rips off. Yeah, and he's still alive, and he's he's and an it's android. just spaghettis and, and yep. marble spaghetti yep, and marbles yep. hanging out of his head. Uh, that was a that was a, a horrifying moment where it is that the that ushers in the audience uh, fainted. Yeah, uh, right. during the initial screenings, uh, a, a terrific performance from Ian Holm. I think is it. It is. Um, I you know I think it's one of those that. Uh, again, sort of pushes the android role in science fiction from uh, the definitive robot that we had seen prior to the sort of you can't tell kind of android performance that that actually leads to um, to enough of the, to the movies to come after that actually have this as the the philosophical kind of linchpin of the film is, is you know what does it mean when we have artificial intelligence that we that we're interacting with and this this movie i think was was part of the the shift there in pushing that theme forward in yeah. cinema yeah and it's it's uh, a very interesting perspective when you start all of a sudden now you're not just scared of the alien but who else do i need to be scared of right. you know because this this android for all uh, you know essentially is just an element of the company that is, you know, ready to bring the alien home. All crew are expendable. It doesn't, the alien, the, uh, sorry, the Android doesn't care at all. Exactly. That was a, that, that's a, an incredibly horrifying moment in this movie in a movie full of horrifying moments. And this one, when you actually, uh, are, are terrified by what you're reading on the screen after the things you've already seen, uh, is is really a testament to the thriller aspect and the suspense that they've been able to build. Um, you know, I think the uh, the other Yafet Koto was terrific. Harry Dean Stanton uh, was absolutely terrific. This is jowls hadn't dropped quite as much as I <laughs> as I imagined him here. He was the young and jowlless Harry Dean Stanton as Brett, and they uh, both play like the uh, the uh, the the gearheads the yeah. uh, the you know the guys doing all the repairs in the bottom they play that so well both those two i i want to uh talk a little bit about the sound mm. of this okay film. are you are you uh, are you ready to talk about sound i'm ready the sound is amazing in this movie yeah it's amazing in this movie and you can tell i mean it's just about as raw as you could come i mean the sounds of the gurgling of the just the sort of mucus gurgling in the egg and the the water dripping is constantly there and they use that trick uh with the uh the speeding up heartbeat mm-hmm. um, you know in just about the the most important uh suspense scenes in the film and the horror scenes in the film even today how many times have i seen that chest burst and and before i was um uh, before we started recording i was watching that scene again with my wife and we were both holding on to each other's arms while we were watching this mm-hmm. uh and and so much of that is driven by the incredible attention to sound and bringing forward those sound, the sound effects that you just don't often hear to the point where you can comment on them. Yeah. Uh, what, what, do you th- what do you think? I think it's genius. I, I think um, their amazing use of sound and knowing when to emphasize sounds, when to not emphasize sounds. 
and when to um and when silence can also be used um in a really horrifying way like i it i find it so unnerving when the face burster uh, the face burster sorry the face hugger first jumps out of the egg and attaches itself to to um i'm blanking on everyone's names tonight to john uh, hurt's character uh yeah to kane yeah it attaches itself to kane and then instantly and it's it's a very tense moment and it's scary and with all the sound of that thing springing out and you hear that whip-like tail and then it cuts mm-hmm. to the exterior of the spaceship and it's just dead silence and uh, there's no music there's nothing it's just like the the environment that you're in and it's you feel all of a sudden so tiny you know it it's such an interesting way to play that scene where the silence for me at least just really enhances this tension where i just feel um something so horrifying is happening and it's it's such an inf- insignificant speck on this massive rock that they're stuck on it just it's terrifying uh it is it is absolutely terrifying the um uh, the last um uh, this, this, one of the pieces that I think was so effective when, um, uh, Cartwright's character and, and Yafet Kodo are being killed mm-hmm. and it's cutting back and forth between Sigourney Weaver running, uh, through the ship. Um, mm-hmm. you, the scream, you can hear the screams occasionally, uh, but they are not in sync with the, with what you're seeing on screen. It's like the sound is completely sort of disjointed. Um, and, and it's, uh, it's really driven by that sort of low hum of the, and the, the throb of the ship and the lights and the emergency sounds and the gas and the, the humanity is kind of taken out of it through sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that ends up being another really powerful metaphor for what is happening on the ship, uh, that humanity is sort of being erased. Uh, and, and they do that all through audio, which is a, which ends up being a really powerful motif. Yeah. And it, the, 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 you brought up the ending and that's another thing is it's so terrifying when the ship goes into, um, it's countdown to self-destruct and you just have sirens blaring everywhere. You've got the overheating gas spraying out everywhere. It's just like this bed of sound that it just all of it makes you just so uncomfortable and claustrophobic in that environment. Mm-hmm. And it works so well for this, you know, what everyone kind of says, you know, like, a, you know, a haunted house movie. You know, you're trapped in this house trying to get out. And it's, uh, it's terrifying because it just keeps building. It does. So, it's yeah. it's uh, it's really fantastic. So the the movie we've been going on a long time about this movie, but uh, I I feel like, um, gosh, uh, we could talk about it much longer. What well, else stands out to you that you have on your list? I, I want to talk about the music because I, uh, in addition sure. to the sound, I think the music for this film is is so top notch and it's it's so well done and horrifying. Um, it, you just don't get um, better than this, particularly for this genre, this type of film. It just it's it's so creepy. This is um, the uh, the good Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith, one of the one of the great J's of composing, is what I like to put him on the the list of J's. Sure. You well, know? you know, it's it is not necessarily true that you know you you don't have to have a J name to be a, a cinema composer, but but it helps. But you likely will. Yeah, there's, you know, yeah. James, James, Jerry, Jerry, yeah. Joe, John, 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 John. There's all the James. 
There's a lot of great... all, the, all the primary J's. They're all, all right. like, great composers. What can I say? But Jerry and Ridley. So Jerry Jerry composed an amazing score for this film. Um, what ended up happening is there was quite a bit of contention, however, because um, the editor chopped up his music, essentially used it almost like um, like stock music, like library music that they pulled in instead of putting it where Jerry had composed it for. Um, he um, used it however he wanted and found things and, and just put things in. In addition to pulling stuff from, from you know, when they built their temp track score, um, he used, uh, this was before Jerry had finished, so they found a bunch of other Jerry Goldsmith music and laid that in. Um, a number of pieces were from a film he had done a few years earlier called Freud about Sigmund. And uh, um, they liked a couple of those pieces so much that they opted to just buy the rights to them and use them instead of the music that Jerry had composed. So, you know, there's a lot of arguing and Jerry was pissed and he's a hot-headed guy anyway. And so it ended up not being a great experience for him. And if you listen to the original score that he composed and and there's a, an incredible release of the alien score the the original score the revisions he made the soundtrack he originally released uh, um done by intrada that we should uh, we should link it's a it's a great example of what happens to film music um but regardless the way that they ended up using it still works really well so even if it wasn't the way that he, the composer had originally intended it still is a masterful score, and it's so horrifying. He uses, you know, oh, this instrument. I guess it's an instrument. It's called an echoplex. Have you ever heard of that? I've never heard of an echoplex. An echoplex is a device. It's it's a device, I guess, that you use with instruments. And what you do is it, it basically makes it echo. He had used it when he did the music for Patton. When you hear the like da 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 da, mm, mm-hmm. and and it it just takes what you play and it just creates an echo of it. And so he used this echoplex on all these really funky instruments. Like there's an instrument called a serpent. It's like a big horn instrument. That was one of the um, instruments he used for the alien and the didgeridoo. Um, he used different conch shells, uh, all with this echoplex to kind of create these alien sounds. And like timpanis, he played them on their metal sides. He played like piano keys with triangle mallets and and glockenspiels with rubber hammers and like all this crazy stuff that it just it amazes me that uh, that a composer goes to such lengths to find such unique instruments that create that alien sound that uh, you know he was really trying to convey in this film and i i swear i don't uh, for this type of film like i said i don't think it has its equal. I, yeah, I don't think so. I, it, this one, again, it's, uh, you know, insofar as it pushed, the, this film pushed those boundaries for science fiction and horror, I think the score did the same and and opened the door. You know, you can see the direct lineage between this score and um, uh, the Trent Reznor, for example, um, in that, that same sort of stylistic choices in the, the funky instruments and, and, you know, using music to tell a story in parallel to the film and to the visuals. Uh, I, I think that ends up being a very powerful partnership, not just, a you know, something to, to play over the silence. Well, and it's interesting because I think, 
uh, Trent Reznor really wrote his music designed in a way where David Fincher could pull it however he wanted and use it where he felt best. Mm -hmm. Like he almost designed it with that um, stock music mentality where I'm going to create a bunch of moods and you put it where you think works best. Which is a great, it's a, it's a great way to compose, I guess, if, if you're not trying to create a, a solid thematic idea that's kind of moving from one end of the film to the other. And, you know, I, I think what happens in, in the film as it is in Alien is, is masterful. It's a beautiful score. It's haunting. Um, but if you listen to the actual original soundtrack, you can actually hear how there was something actually moving across. There's themes in there and everything. And, and they cut a lot of that out. You know, you miss that, but it's still, it still is pretty damn effective. Talk a little bit about the difference between the re, the uh, director's cut, the 2003 release, and uh, the original. Well, it's interesting because Ridley Scott doesn't even really count the 2003 re-release as a director's cut. He actually says that if there is a director's cut, it's the 79 version because he felt that it works so well. He doesn't think there's anything wrong with it, and he's very happy with it. Um, the 2003 version, however, he wanted to you know, or maybe perhaps 20th Century Fox marketing people wanted him to create a version that they could, you know, get it back out in the world and remarket it. Um, he, he basically wanted to add some stuff in and he ended up actually, I think, adding four minutes of new material and removing five minutes of material. So it's actually a minute shorter than the original cut. Um, I, and I, I haven't figured out what has been taken out of it. But things that have been added, the biggest thing is toward the end of the film when um, Ripley is is heading to uh, shut the uh, self-destruct off, she comes across a chamber that the alien had been using. And it, it actually is very kind of reminiscent of what you see in Aliens. It's got all that kind of that gooey H.R. Geiger growth all over the walls. Mm -hmm. And embedded on the wall is Dallas, who's actually still alive. And uh, next to him is what's left of Brett that the alien has basically kind of coated in the goo and is actually using his body to create an egg. From that egg eventually will be a face hugger who will attach itself to Dallas and that's how it would continue. So it was an interesting uh, egg chamber thing to discover in the in the particular in this particular scene it does slow it down a little bit um when she discovers it and in retrospect if you look at that and then you look at aliens um it kind of takes away the queen a little bit you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um i think that's the biggest um problem with that particular scene um but it still is interesting um and then they add a few other little scenes like the crew when they get the SOS signal actually like tr trying to track it and figure out where it's coming from. Um, there's a great scene when um, the crew is first back on the ship with Kane being examined in the medical room. You see them looking at him through the window and Lambert is standing there watching. Ripley comes down the hall and this is, you know, remember this is fresh after Ripley would not let them back on board. Right. And and Lambert walks up to her and just gives her the biggest smack across the face. She's so pissed at her. Uh, 
So, you know, it's it's just little things like that. It's not a huge difference, and uh, it's fun to watch both, but they're not that different. Well, that is, uh, I, I think, in contrast to the director's cut of Aliens, which we will talk about next week. Uh, yeah. And yep. uh, that, was, that was definitely much more of a substantive release definitely um you know wrapping up how would you uh how would you summarize uh you know your take on this film and why it's on our list of movies we like it's you know it's just it's an amazing film that stands the test of time it's just a fantastic horror film uh sci-fi horror that works to this day it still is just creepy and everything in it works so well uh nothing feels dated it just it has that ridley scott atmosphere that i think never i mean there are a few of his films where the atmosphere is there but it still feels dated black rain comes to mind mm-hmm. um but this one just it it feels like it could have been made you know a- any time in the last 30 years i mean any of there's there's nothing pinpointing it to 79 no, uh, you know, I think there's that that's a good point which may only be true for another 4 weeks. Uh <laughs> and, and we'll see. We'll see just yeah, we'll how see. well that we uh, Prometheus completely breaks what you just said. <laughs> uh and Right, exactly. When is your uh, when is your debut as a columnist uh a contributor in Entertainment Weekly scheduled to start? <laughs> well, theoretically uh tomorrow. Oh, excellent. Today, so, I guess, when people are listening today. So we look so at uh, letters letters to Entertainment Weekly, letters to EW. That's right. Theoretically, I've got a little little something in there about uh, Prometheus. We'll see. So we'll let that we'll let that hang. Put a pin in it, baby. Yes, indeed, indeed. Uh, I think this movie is so uh, is such a, a perfect addition to this list and to this series, just because it kicks off what is uh, what has become um, a a series that is culturally important. Uh, it it is something that that um, that defines the structure of how you know how horror and science fiction films that come after it uh, are structured, and it adds really interesting techniques to that gestalt and and that's a it's a fun film to watch again and again to to be able to pull it apart like this is a is always fun to do and and uh, not to mention the fact that all of the effects are so wonderfully practical and they all use chickens <laughs> it just, conjures up all sorts of horrible things uh you thought gmo was bad people why do you oh, see man. what ridley scott can do to a chicken yeah, for the, for the face burster, a face burster, God, the face hugger. When they're actually dissecting it, it's like organ, like uh, all these organs from like sturgeon and like it's chicken. Yeah. It's like all these gross things. It's, it's really. I can only imagine how it smelled on set. The 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 re, I I haven't done research for a film that uses the word eviscera more frequently. Like this is, <laughs> and so in this scene, the eviscera was spread about. <laughs> Even Geiger, he would truck in like carcasses to use in the construction of the sets. Uh, uh, and he was, he had actually, I guess, requested dry bones to use. And they got a truckload of like all these wet, meaty bones. And he said it smelled so bad. Uh, <laughs> I can only my. imagine. It's like, wow, that is like, there's some, some interesting stuff going on where you're building a whole set out of animal bones. 
Oh my goodness. Well, it's it's a it's a fantastic film. Very much looking forward to the uh, really the departure that Aliens takes next week and um until that I I got nothing else. I don't either. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Good night, Andy. You know what I got the other day, Pete? Stephen King's latest. Want to borrow it? Do you know who you're talking to? What do you mean? Andy, when's the last time I read a paper book? It's been like decades. I would much rather use Kindle, or better yet, Audible. What am I thinking? I don't read paper books anymore either. I am an audiobook guy all the way. For those of you looking to listen to the books behind the films we talk about here on The Next Reel, get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. There are so many great adaptations from season one available in audio form. Charlie Kaufman did a crazy adaptation of Susan Orlean's The Orchid Thief, making it a script about him going through the process of adapting it. Crazy, but made for a great film. And I hear the book is great too. Our David Fincher series had some great book adaptations too, like The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo or The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Don't forget The Social Network and Zodiac. I could totally listen to those back to back. Then lest we forget one of my favorites, Fight Club. Oh, so good. In season one, we also talked about Alan J. Pakula's Paranoia Trilogy, one of which is All the President's Men. Such an amazing story. And we had some adaptations in our baseball series, too. The Natural and Field of Dreams. Both classics. And I loved the books behind the Jason Reitman series, Thank You for Smoking, and Up in the Air. Which do you like better, the book or film version of Thank You for Smoking? You're a terrible person for even asking that. It's Sophie's choice. (laughs) But seriously, folks, producing this podcast is a lot of fun and takes a lot of time. We've dropped the dynamically inserted ads because they are so annoying and they have no connection to our content. Plus, they just jam those things wherever they see fit. We listened when you said you didn't like them. So now we're directly appealing to you, our dear listener. Please consider an Audible subscription to help support The Next Reel and our family of podcasts. I have been using Audible along with my family for decades now. I love it, and I have read hundreds of books through it. I couldn't be more pleased with their service, and I know you'll love it too. Head to thenextreel.com slash audible and get your free trial. It really helps us out, and you have a world of over 200,000 audiobooks open to you. So much great material available. Dive in with a free 30-day trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. Start listening to amazing audiobooks of your favorite movie source material with your first free audiobook today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible.